0: Well, good morning. Uh, yeah, there you go. Uh, man, it's good to be here with you today. And those of you who are joining us online, welcome. If you're new, welcome. My name's Steve Cunningham. I get to be the lead pastor here at Well House. Uh, and I tell you, what a treat this morning. We have a lot of great things happening. Um, I'll, I'll let you know, last week we had Super Bowl Sunday here, right, where we asked you to bring in cans. We had a goal 500 cans. If you haven't heard, we uh, we actually uh, you guys brought in 691 cans. Uh, so that's thank you. Um, we keep kind of living up to that that um, that idea of of being wildly generous, and I love that. So this week, as we dropped off half of those cans, we stopped some more to drop off to them this week. They were like, holy cow, this is amazing, uh, and it really was. So thank you for that. Uh, this morning, uh, Veronica, thank you for sharing. Uh, what a blessing. Uh, yeah. she Afterwards, uh, she gave me a big hug, and she was like, I'm so sorry. And I was like, oh, no. No, no, you don't know what a blessing you are. And that's the amazing thing, right? I mean, that's the amazing thing about this walk in Christ is that um, God takes you and I, broken people, and he somehow, in some way that we don't always know how, makes beautiful things come of that uh and that's what the beauty of the church right i mean we we don't if you're walking here today and like you're like all right, let's i'm gonna find me some some perfect folk um then i'm gonna save you some time <laughs> it is there's an there's a couple of exits you can go ahead and hit those uh they're not here um but if you're like me you have a past And I think one of the most amazing things is that as we read the Bible from cover to cover, literally from cover to cover, you will find people who have a past. And somehow, in some way, God works through their life to redeem, not only redeem their story, but to give others around them hope, that's why we have the Bible, right? We get to read those stories of people are like, holy cow, look at all the amazing things that are done through that person, and and here I am to benefit by that and have hope. And one of those stories we find in... The Bible. We're going to go through again. This is our second week in the book of Colossians. So, if you have your Bible, you can open up to that. And let me just tell you this: If you have your Bible on phone and you go through uh, the the U version Bible app, how many of you have that? Raise your hand. Good. You can actually go on there on events. And you'll find Wellhouse and everything we go through today, including uh, the scriptures we use and the points we have, is right there under the events page. So if you can't find it, that's okay. We'll help you out um, afterwards. Or maybe there's somebody younger than you beside you that you can just hand it to them and they'll get it to you. Well, however, that works, that's okay. Uh, we're going to start in, in Colossians chapter 2 today, but before we get there, I want to lay a bit of groundwork because Paul is one of those guys who has a bit of a past, right? If you know anything about Paul, Paul used to be called Saul, and Saul used to kill Christians. That was his job. That's what he loved in his pastime to do was uh, to to help persecute Christians. But God came in, right? And that's one of the most amazing things uh, about the the Bible is that we hear a lot of "but God," and then things change, right? And if you're going through a really hard season right now, it's probably because your "but God" hasn't happened yet. So hang on, okay? Is this coming? Okay, And I don't say that as a prosperity kind of gospel I'm just saying I've watched many people No matter what they're walking through Go through a point in time where they're like It's just never going to get any better And then all of a sudden but God happened And so that's, that's a part of your story too uh, Paul uh, was Saul and and God came and changed his direction and all of a sudden he becomes a leader in the church. The person who used to persecute and kill them now becomes the leader and encourager of the church, of those who are following Christ. And he begins to uh, in- encourage and teach and train people to the point where he becomes persecuted in and of himself. But before he gets to that point, he asks to answer a question. The same question that Jesus posed to his 12 disciples if you remember the the story in the life of jesus he gathers around him 12 guys 12 uh, apostles and at a certain point in the ministry he asked them who do people say that i am and they responded back well some people say you're you know john the baptist other people another prophet and, uh, and so that's who other people say that he is. But then he turns and specifically asks them, who do you say that I am? And their response is, I mean, you're the Messiah. You're the Christ. It's you. And that is the question that we have to wrestle with, right? That's the most important question that you can wrestle with in your life is, who is Jesus really? Really? Who is Jesus really? Because once you have the foundation to that question, well, it changes everything. Last week, we talked about this, that the foundation of that question will shape your prayer life. It will remind you of your identity, whose you are and who you are in him, and it will give you strength and stability for whatever happens in your life. This is what Colossians 1 points us to as Paul begins to write to them. And remember, we talked about this last week, that as Paul is writing to this group of believers in Colossae, as he begins to write to them, he's never visited them before. He He's never laid eyes on them. He's never taught them before, but he's reaching out. And he's reaching out via imprisonment. Now, I don't know about you, I don't know, you know, the kind of hard times you've walked through before and what that looked like, but can you imagine being at a point in your life where you're going through some of the toughest things that you could possibly go through and you think, you know what I need to do? I need to encourage a group of people that I've never met before. I'm just going to tell you, the selfish part of Steve has never gotten to that part where I think, you know, I need to encourage a whole bunch of other people as I'm walking through my own stuff. But this is Paul, and, and this is Paul because Paul has answered the question, who is Jesus really? Because if Jesus is Lord really, then even through the hardest of, of parts of our lives, we can continue to walk in faith knowing not, not that life is easy, because it's not, not that there won't be bumps and bruises along the way, because there will be, but you know the end result. And so, you never lose hope although we're bruised, although we're banged up from time to time, although there is turmoil and hardship. You never lose hope because you know how the story ends. There you go. Those of you who know me know that uh, I grew up I was a weird kid. Now that I think back about it, I was a lot, uh, maybe still am. Um, I was about 10, 11 years old and uh, there was a guy at our church and he was a magician. That was his job. And I thought he was the coolest. I just thought he was the coolest guy ever. And so I remember one day walking up to him, it was after church, uh, the church that I went to, he could not do magic inside of. It was like, you know, if he did that, he was like Satan, right? And so um, he couldn't do it, but he would go out to the park. This is no joke. He would go out in the parking lot, and then we would do, and it was okay out there. So we would all go out in the parking lot, like mass exodus, and he would do these super cool tricks. And I just thought, this guy's unbelievable. I mean, he would, like, there would be crowds drawn around. I just thought, man, this guy's so cool. And so I remember one day, I'm like, listen, you got to teach me some of your tricks. And he goes, listen, I can't teach you any of your tricks, but if you want to become a magician, well, then I can help you do that. And so I said, sign me up. So I would go once a week to his house, and he would teach me how to become a magician. And here's the crazy thing about it is it's not just about learning tricks. Everybody knows tricks. You probably know some, some kind of card trick you learned in junior high or high school, and it really doesn't fool anybody, right? But there's, there's a difference between knowing a trick and being a magician. And so today, I won't do a trick for you. But I asked one of my friends, uh, Magic Steve, to do some magic for you today. And so via uh, some recording here, this is Magic Steve.
1: Hello, Well House Church. Some of you may remember me. I am the infamous Magic Steve, the most famous magician in the whole wide room. Hey, let me double check. Still am the most famous magician in the whole wide room considering I'm the only one in the room. However, today Steve asked me to talk to you guys a little bit about deception. And Being a magician, I use deception as a tool to entertain people. However, there will be people and forces out there that will use deception to harm you, take advantage of you, all sorts of bad things. Now, what is deception? Well, Deception can be the brain tricking the body, the body tricking the mind, the eyes deceiving the brain. It can be a whole number of things. I'm going to give you a few examples. For instance, if I told you I had 11 fingers on my hands. You wouldn't believe me unless I proved it. And I'll do that for you. Look, we'll count them. We have one, two, we'll skip these three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Just like that, 11 fingers. Now, that's kind of a kid's trick. It may have fooled some of you, I don't know. But that's just one small example of deception. We'll, we'll try something else. We're gonna play a game called Stephen Says. And all you have to do is do what I say. So, Stephen says, touch your nose. Stephen says, touch your ear. Stephen says, touch your head. Steven says, touch your chin. Wait a minute. You guys aren't touching your chin out there, are you? I said touch your chin, but I touched my cheek. How many of you are touching your cheek? How many of you got fooled by that? That's just another example of deception. I hope you played along. And I got one more example, and I need everybody to put their arms out like this. All right, hands together like that. And then you're gonna turn your palms out like this. Good, good. Then you're gonna cross your hands over like that. Good. Now lock your fingers together real tight, real tight. And a minute. You and the white shirt out there, you're not locking them together. There you go, real tight, right? Now, just take your hands and then just twist them. Are some of you stuck? I'm okay. See, if you missed the small thing in there, that little bit of deception, sometimes you'll get stuck. Now, I wanted to show you guys one last thing. Quick little card trick for you before I go. Something I've been playing around with. I think you'll really enjoy it. Alright, let me give these a little bit of a shuffle and let's see. Oh, see, unfortunately you've been deceived again because I'm not even able to show you a card trick today because there are no cards. So I hope you all have a good day and hope to see you again real soon. Bye.
0: Yeah. Uh, It's easy to be fooled sometimes, isn't it? Uh, In this life, I don't know how many times you probably thought, You were going to expect one thing, and all of a sudden something else happened. And what I learned as I kind of became a magician for a time in my life is that you can use deception cleverly to entertain people. But deception, sometimes being fooled, happens in other ways. And this is what's happening to the church in Colossae. This is something that, the, as Paul writes from, from imprisonment to this group of people who he's never met before, he's writing to them because they're being fooled. He's writing to them because they're being deceived, and he wants to kind of show them, hey, listen, don't be deceived by things that that seem good, that seem right, that seem like you want to buy in, but really have no fruit there. And so in Colossians chapter 2, we're going to dig in right here uh, in in, uh, verse, uh, uh, sorry, chapter 2, verse 16, it says this, therefore, and again, we've mentioned this before, anytime you see a therefore, you have to ask what it's there for. We're going to come back to that in a minute. Do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival or new moon celebration or Sabbath day. These are all things that were happening at the time. These were events and celebrations and and things that, that people in that day and that time might recognize as some kind of religious ceremony or religious activity. These are all shadows of things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. So he says, listen, there's a lot of great things you can participate in. there's, There's great experiences you can have, but don't miss the foundational point here is that it's Christ. Everything should be pointing to Christ. Don't let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. All right, so what is he saying? Listen, there's going to be people who look at you and say, you you don't have it all together. You don't even know kind of the higher principles of things. How are angels formed? What role do they have? Oh, you don't know, do you? Well, if you just stick with me, well, I'll teach you everything I know. He says, don't let them fool you. Don't let them disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they've seen. They're all puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They've lost connection with the head, that is God, from whom the whole body, the church supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Remember we talked about this last week. It's not my responsibility to grow the church. It's, it's not any staff member's responsibility to grow the church not the elder's job, the lead team's job. There's nothing we can do on a Sunday morning. It's going to grow the church. That's what God does. Verse 20, since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Don't, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. And what is he talking about there? Well, he's going back and he's saying, you know, some of you, the forces that you have are Greek forces. And at that time, there was a lot of Greek philosophy. There was a lot of uh, Greek God worship. And so he's saying, some of you, you're being deceived by outside forces that are telling you, man, you're missing out. There's, there's all kinds of things out here that you don't understand, that you're not diving into. And so you're, you're kind of, I mean, you're just not educated. And at the same time, there are people inside who said, no, 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 you're missing it. You're cheapening the faith. We have this long-standing tradition with God. We have the, we have the Torah. We have these rules. We have 600-plus laws that, that we need to follow. Don't touch. Don't taste. Don't, don't forget those things. That, those are things that we have to fall in line with. He says, listen, those are things that belong to the world. These rules, which have to do with things that are destined to be perished with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such such regulations indeed have their appearance of wisdom, an appearance of wisdom, with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining the sensual indulgence. What, is, what does he mean by this? He says, listen, I would love to be able to help you put in place something that can legislate morality. If, you, if I could just give you a series of things that you could do and check off the box and then all of a sudden you become, you know, the world's best Christ follower, you're, you're, you're the most obedient person to God, then man, that would be great. But here's the thing and what we found is there's nothing external that's going to change the internal. And you found that before, haven't you? you listen if you're anything like me there's been something in your life before you're like all right that's it from day here on out i'm no longer gonna do whatever it is and so i'm gonna i'm gonna buy a gym membership and i'm gonna get a treadmill and then like a week later you're you know sitting on the couch you're like man that's the third twinkie i've had today what happened some of you you're like listen that's it. From this point on, you know, like I want to develop a better prayer life. That's what I'm going to do. So every night, right? I'm going to lay down in my bed and I'm going to pray. And then the first night, you know, you're like, all right, I don't know what to talk about, so I'm just going to I'm just going to sleep, but tomorrow and it never happens, right? Because you cannot legislate what happens, what what the change happens inside. Chris talked about this, that, that we need a transformation, and you cannot legislate transformation in your life. It just doesn't happen that way. And so he says, don't be fooled. Don't be fooled by that. See, God's after transformation, but it doesn't start on the outside. It starts on the inside. It starts in a relationship when you actively pursue him. See, the believers in Colossae had external pressures to try to follow Christ. Traditions that were outdated, evil forces as he, as he addresses them, satanic forces, or even basic human wisdom, these things that we all should know and so we should adhere to them. But nevertheless, the group of people in Colossae still had issues, didn't they? Just like you and I. And no matter how many, how hard they tried or how many things they tried to adhere to, those issues left them unfulfilled. And they left them with regrets. They left them with heartache. They left them with a sense that they were not doing everything they could possibly do to get the most out of life and become the most connected with God. The truth of the matter is is that I've talked to a lot of people over the course of almost 23 years now in ministry. And I'm a lot of that time also counseling with people. And they'll talk and they'll discuss about their life issues. But what I want to say is that I think a lot of people don't really have problems. That's not entirely true. That does happen from time to time. But I think sometimes it's the the issue is living in the wrong direction. So we get fooled by thinking there's certain things that are going to make us feel full or complete or fulfilled. There's certain things that if we finally obtain this, then all of a sudden our life is going to feel better, feel complete. If we finally get the family we want or the house that we want or the job that we want, we finally make enough money and we have all those things that all of a sudden we don't have any problems anymore. And what I want to say is oftentimes we don't need a new solution. We just need a different direction And this is what Paul is pointing them to. He's saying, listen, if you want a deeper connection with God, if you if you want to search him out more, then it's, it's not continuing to, to try to go down all these paths to find the right solution. You have to be in the right direction to go there. And so you have to find Christ, which leads us back to the therefore. You remember in verse 16 when he says, therefore, well, that's what he's talking about previously. Scroll back to Colossians 2, starting in verse 6. This is what he says. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, and again, for Paul, this is, this is his life quest. This is the foundation. When asked, you know, who do you say I am? Paul says, your Lord. You rule over everything. You are supreme. You are enough. I don't need anything else but you. So just as you receive Christ Jesus, Lord, continue to live your life in him, rooted and built up in him. I love this. Stop here for just a moment. Do you notice that everything is in him? He talks about this this rootedness. This is what I found, that your life will show where your roots grow. It's kind of a corny little saying, but it helps me remember. Sometimes if I want to appear something different than what I am, it won't last very long. Because what I'm rooted in is what will eventually come out. And so if there's a part of your life where you're like, no, listen, I, I, I don't know why this keeps surfacing, then you might want to look at where you're rooted in. And you might need to address it from the baseline first. And as Paul writes to this group of people, he says, you know, listen, you're going to be deceived at some point along the way unless you are intentional about where you root your life. But he's not done, neither are we. Here we go. Rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Again, here's a guy who's sitting imprisonment and reminding us that in all things to be rooted in Christ and being over, over, overly thankful for what we have. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. It's the point he continues to drive home over and over and over again that we have to, we must root ourselves in Christ and Christ alone. For in Christ, if you have a highlighter, you have something to underline, this is important. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in the bodily form. Let's say that together. Verse 9. Ready? Here we go. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. How much of the fullness of the deity? All of it. When Jesus was here, all of the deity was in his form. He had all access, all power, right? We kind of understand that, but keep reading. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. So, the fullness that Jesus had is offered to you through Christ. Do you get that? That seems hard for us to reconcile in our brain. But the truth is so we're not deceived. In Christ, I have access to the fullness of Christ. In Christ, I have access to the fullness of Christ. And that's amazing. And you know what's really amazing is that when Jesus leaves his disciples, he tells us this much, doesn't he? Do you remember when he says, listen, all authority in uh, in heaven and on earth has been given to me, and now I give it to you. In Christ, we have the fullness of Christ. We have power in this life to overcome spiritual forces. We have power in this life to overcome sin. Even the sin that you think, man, this thing has been hanging with me since I, I can remember struggling with this thing for as long as I can remember. And what I want to remind you of is in Christ, you have access to the fullness of Christ. Keep reading along. It says, in him you are also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. This is a big deal at the time. This was what, what Jews uh, were, were shown to be faithful. They were the, the children of God through circumcision. He says, I'm not talking about that kind of circumcision. It's not the one done with human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, when he revealed himself in you, when he bought you Your whole self is saved, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And I love this because it's a reminder of this, that in Christ there is no power or authority that control you but Christ. There's nothing. No power of hell or scheme of man can touch you in Christ. Oh, sure. Will you be tempted? Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Will you be hard-pressed on every side? Oh, we're made fully aware of that. In fact, here's Paul writing from a very place of of being persecuted. Paul reminds us that the thing that matters the most is that there is no power or authority that can control you but Christ. When you were raised, uh, sorry, when you were dead in your sins and in the circumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to a cross, and having disarmed the power and authority, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross." What truth do we get from this? Is that in Christ I have freedom from my sinful nature? I have freedom from my sinful nature. Here's the thing. Do you remember this story? It's it's in the it's in the Gospel of John and it's Jesus and He's He's interacting with this woman. They bring this adulterous woman, right? Apparently, she's the only one sinning, and they grab her and they bring her in front of Jesus. Remember the story? And they said, "Now the law says that we should stone such a woman, but what do you say, Jesus?" And he does this weird, like, you know, Jedi Knight thing where he draws on the ground, and everybody's kind of wondering what's going on. And he says, "Listen, you who is without the first, uh, without sin, cast the first stone." And then the older ones. Leave first because they have the most things in their life that they know they've done bad, right? Finally, there's nobody else around. And he says, hey, there's nobody here to condemn you. Nope. And then he says this, two really, really important things. Then neither do I condemn you. There's only one person that day who could have and didn't. You get that? There's there's one person that day who could have said, well, you know what? I've not sinned, so hang tight. But he doesn't. And then he says this, and don't miss it. Go and leave your life of sin. And I think there's something for some of us where that feels like an impossibility. But I can assure you, that both of the things that Jesus said that day were true. He does not condemn her and she can go and leave her life of sin. He wouldn't put it out there, folks, if it couldn't be true. Now, you're going to struggle with things your whole life. And here's what I found to be true. When I finally tackle an area of my life that's kind of been riddled with sin along the way, and I'm like, all right, thank you, God, that I've finally gotten that under control. All of a sudden, something sneaks up on the other side of me. I'm like, are you kidding me? You've been there before. In this life, we're never not going to be tempted. And in this life, you're never going to be perfect. What I can tell you is Christ gives you the authority through him to flee and have freedom from our sinful nature. See, a casual Christian would call this impossible, but Jesus provides this to all of his followers. He provides it to all of his followers. This idea that we can stand up under sin with his power in him alone. In him alone so here, the last thing is that in Christ, my sins are forgiven. I don't know your past. I I don't know what, you know, things that you would, I don't know if your past goes back like three hours ago or three days ago, 30 years ago. I don't know. What I do know is in Christ, it's forgiven. And you don't have to worry about it anymore. It doesn't have to follow you around like... Like baggage that you feel like, man, I just cannot get rid of this. And see, here's the thing: all of those things, all of those points that that they didn't have access to the fullness of Christ, that they had powers and control, uh, uh, that authority that controlled them, or they had no freedom from any sinful nature, so they had to keep doing sacrifices over and over and over again, or they had to feel burdened by the weight and the shame of their sin. Those were all things that the church in Colossae was wrestling through. And so Paul had to write them and say, listen, don't be deceived. Don't be fooled. See, there's people who are telling you all these kinds of things, and you need to stop listening to that and root yourself in Christ and understand the truth there. Because once you do that, things become clear, and you're not so easily fooled. And church, that is my prayer for you. That is my prayer for you. That you will root yourself in the fullness of Christ alone. I love how well you love me. Some of y'all love me a ton. But I'm not perfect. And you can't root yourself in me. Eventually I'll let you down. Eventually I'll slip up. Eventually I will show you my humanness, my sinfulness, my weakness. Don't root yourself in me. We have tremendous staff, tremendous lead team, tremendous shepherds here. They're all wonderful people. I would never speak bad about most of them. (laughs) Joking. I love them. But you can't root yourself in them. I love this church. Church. It's great. We do a lot of wonderful things that show that God is active still today, but you can't root yourself in it. See, if you root yourself in anything, anything other than Christ himself, you will be deceived. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you. And give you peace. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and present you before his glorious presence without fault and with tremendous joy. May you be swept away in God's love for you and transformed by the Holy Spirit's power within you. Thanks be to the only God, our Savior, who is unparalleled and unchanging, who is matchless and merciful, who is supreme and sufficient, who is before all things, through all things, and in all things, both now and forever. Amen.